around here. Captain! Signatures detected. Shield up. Signatures detected. Context Southeast Command. What's happening? Context Southeast Command. Delay that order. Context Southeast Command. This is the captain. Context Southeast Command. Get out of my chair. Chair, 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 chair. We have engaged the Klingons. 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 Welcome to The Greatest Discovery, a new Star Trek podcast from the makers of The Greatest Generation. I'm Ben Harrison. I'm Adam Pranica in a show open that sounds like we didn't begin and then stop it so that you could go and read a comic we agreed to. I forgot about the comic. But uh, yeah, the uh, the Star Trek Picard countdown comic ended in between the release of episodes one and two. <laughs> That's where you want to do it, right? It's very strange timing. Especially because I was expecting, uh, I was I was looking at the schedule and I was like, look, something in this third comic must be a bombshell. It it must be something they would not want to release before episode one. <laughs> uh, and I don't, I'm not sure if that's the case. It's a it's a climax that you would need to put like some really tense music behind for it mm-hmm. to work as the climax of a television episode. You know, a tense moment where Jaban has taken over. The entrepreneur after Governor Blondie's abortive attempt to take over. Oh, it's not the entrepreneur. What is no, it? The Verity. It's the Verity, yep. Yeah. She, so her attempt failed. She's uh, she's stuck in jail, but then Jaban has also taken it over, which uh, the moment that happened, I was like, what the hell? How does Picard <laughs> become <laughs> friends with Jaban after this? <laughs> Like, he just gave Lieutenant Pranica a speech about how important it is to trust people and not let your suspicions get the better of you. Now Jabon has pulled his pants down. Picard has got to be pissed at Jabon forever, right? Little did we know that Jabon was using this entire circumstance as a job interview. Yeah. It's like, look at how talented I am. And I've been wondering, like, how how is the presence of Laris and Jabon at Chateau Picard explained... Like we talked about it in the last episode. Like, do they, do they, uh, are they trying to get on into the will or whatever? Right. And and the explanation is they're in hiding. They are, uh, they're keeping a low profile at the end of this comic series because they turned on the Tal Shiar. Yeah, it's true. I I don't know if I'm if I'm going into witness protection. I, I'm I'm fairly sure the first thing you do is change your name, right? <laughs> Kept the names. Yeah. But it's Earth. Still working in the same industry. Earth is a chill place with almost no bad Romulans running around. That's the thing, isn't it? That's that's what this, this comic book is making us believe. But I think uh, the series doesn't quite believe that at all. No. They get to be winemakers, so it's got that going for it. You know, like they don't have to they don't have to retrain. It's not like people that work in coal mines that now have to learn how to put solar panels on things. Picard objected so vociferously to to slave labor being used on this Romulan colony that uh, he's got to be a little uncomfortable with with Jaban and Laris joining him on the vineyard. He's like, look, you you have to accept payment. <laughs> we don't you, have money, but I'm going to find a way to make this work. <laughs> I wouldn't be able to live with myself if you just worked here for free. It would, it would smell too much like indentured servitude. <laughs> Picard's the guy who's uh, who's a little too aggressive about grabbing the check at yeah. any moment in time, right? Yeah, yeah. 
the other thing that this made me wonder is uh, it reminded me that Jordy is the uh, is the guy making the ships at Utopia Planitia, the right. evacuation fleet. So, is it possible that Jordy buys it in the in the attack by the synthetics? Well, I don't think it is, and the reason for that is that Jaban calls him out by name toward the end when Picard is uh, considering the assembly of a crew to take him out onto his mission. Oh, you're talking about in the episode. Yeah, yeah. yeah. In the episode, Jaban uh, suggests Picard crew up with Riker, Worf, and LaForge, and that, I mean, LaForge has got to be alive for Jaban to say that. Jaban knows everything. What if uh, what if he suggested that and then Picard just like looked off into the middle <laughs> distance and a single tear fell from his eye? <laughs> he looks out into the vineyard at the tree that uh, that serves as Jordy's burial plot. <laughs> yeah, the one that Data was painting under. We cut to uh, Leah Brahms's house and there's a tree in her backyard where Jordy's buried. Turns out Leah Brahms did not want his his remains buried there. <laughs> <laughs> it was just another instance in the long line of creepy shit Jordy did, did to Leah Brahms. He, he left it in his will. Yeah. <laughs> Bury me and plant a tree in my honor in the backyard of Leah Brahms. If she ever moves, yeah. move the casket and the tree. Uh, leave her alone, Jordy. <laughs> it's not the way this may look. A bit of a flat end to this comic series. But uh, but providing some interesting detail on uh, on some of these characters, anyways. It does answer some crucial questions, and the and the Laris and Jaban question qualifies as that. Like we had to know how they got to be in Picard's care, and now we do. Well, do you want to uh, pivot to the episode we came here to watch today? Yeah, let's do that. Uh, we're already into episode two of Star Trek Picard. It's called Maps and Legends. And it's First Contact Day, Ben. Happy First Contact Day. And a happy First Contact Day to you. Uh, it should be called uh, Happy Lily Day. That would be good. <laughs> happy, happy Lily Day. It's, it's Lily Friday. The day that commemorates when Lily finished her six-month scrounge to get enough titanium to make a two-meter cockpit. That's right. Lily did all the work. Uh, so, so yeah, the, I mean, like, I wonder how that works. Like if, if the 4th of July was when September 11th happened, mm. <laughs> like it would change that holiday forever, right? Yeah. Kind of a dumb move by the September 11th terrorists, Ben. You're right. They really, they really should have changed the date. They need to get somebody like me with a little bit of marketing panache into their team. <laughs> hey, guess who also doesn't know how to land a plane? Benjamin R. Harrison. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, the uh we get to we get to see some of these synthetics and uh we meet one of them, uh F8. They the synthetics name themselves after their favorite entry in the Fast and Furious franchise. Oh, all right. <laughs> I was just looking down at my keyboard and looking at the play pause F8 key and I was like, all right. <laughs> There's a lot of different potential explanations. It's neat to see manufacturing happen. You know, we're on the surface of Mars, we're in this station, we're meeting some some blue-collar workers and the synthetics that, that supplement that labor, right? That's that's what the scene is all about. Yeah, I thought that these workers seemed like they were kind of assholes. Well, you know, 
they reminded me a lot and and this F8 guy reminded me a lot of of data season 1 you know like so much of the sub subtext of data in those early seasons was how different he was from everyone and i mean i remember the crew of the enterprise teasing him about a sense of humor this is this is a thing that's happening on the station with these workers they're just sort of testing the social boundaries of f8 and yeah and i mean you're not wrong it does edge into being a little cruel but there's also that interplay between the crew members where they sort of argue whether or not it is f8 doesn't know or care that they're being cruel to him but also like what does it do to your soul when you're constantly you know yelling abuse at alexa or whatever you know ben listening to you say his name made me wonder if uh, f8 sounded a lot like fate like if you were to write it on a license plate that would be the shorthand i, th- I think that that's definitely what the fast and furious franchise was going for and also this yeah F8 uh, has got all of the powers of a data-type android, one assumes. Yeah, and the and the dangerousness of that is brought into sharp relief in this scene as the uh, as the attack begins. F8 starts doing speed computering, a la data, and then snaps one of the guy's necks when uh, when he runs up behind him. Pretty unwise to run up behind F8 if you're that random. Uh, worker in the back there. I think you got to bring a wrench or something. There are wrenches all around this place. There's wrenches and there's also like cutting lasers, which uh, F8 is seems to be the only one that thinks to use a projectile weapon in this in this Star Trek fight. This is a great scene that really increases the tension fast because as soon as F8 goes data fingers on this computer. We start hearing alert klaxons. We hear the intercom describe how bad things are going elsewhere. We understand that the shields are dropped, the synthetics are compromised, and then we cut to satellites in orbit. And they have, instead of aiming their weapons away from the planet in a kind of planetary defense configuration, uh, they start aiming toward the surface. And that's not a good sign. Yeah. Yeah, you don't you don't want to get hoisted on your own planetary petard. What was super scary about this scene was how much it looked and felt like an active shooter situation right now. Like people are 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 throwing their bodies at this shooter. Uh it's not effective. He's having their way with everyone in the room who is unarmed. It's uh it's really scary. That's what it made me think about was just how how hopeless the situation was in that moment. It also felt very Borgy because F8 finishes doing whatever he's doing with the computer and killing everybody in the room and then kills himself. Right. And that feels like something you do where a collective consciousness is at play. Like now that I'm done with my work, I'm going to like, I'm going to destroy the evidence or whatever by by killing myself, but it doesn't matter because myself is also elsewhere. I think we're made not to blame F8 here because in the in some of the very first moments of this scene, we get an ECU on his eye and it looks as though uh, something has been activated in him. So this does not seem like a something he wants to do yeah. of his own volition. Ben, we get a very rare uh, shoots self in the head to open. <laughs> <laughs> this episode. Uh, I don't think we get that very often in Star yeah. Trek. 
I mean, you get it basically every episode of The Greatest Discovery. Right. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. When we come back, we are uh, back at uh, Chateau Picard. Just about sunset or sunrise at Chateau Picard. The light uh-huh. is just magical there. <laughs> At Chateau Picard, the wine grapes are grown exclusively in magic hour light. <laughs> Michael Bay Vineyards. Yeah. <laughs> um, Laris and Jabon are looking over the security footage of the explosion with uh, Admiral Retired Picard. Back and to the left. And, uh, and yeah, like no evidence of Dodge or any of the motorcycle Romulans. In this in this footage, uh, they're talking about it as as it's been doctored, but um, in the previous episode they talked about the fact that Dodge escaped from the estate without any, you know, without showing up on any surveillance cameras or anything. So I wondered if it's not doctored, but they're all like cloaked to camera. There's a fun Easter egg here, Ben, which is uh, another instance of the show watching the show. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. I mean, that's that's first episode of TNG stuff, right? Yeah, exactly. I love it. Yeah. They start to talk about the uh, the idea that this is not the Tal Shiar doing this because the Tal Shiar would know not to do uh, such a such a brazen act on Earth, but uh, but a an even secreter <laughs> secret police inside the Tal Shiar called the Jat Vash. It's sort of the exocomp of this episode. Oh, boy. Yeah, it sure is. I mean, <laughs> if the F word isn't the exocomp of this episode, it's definitely Jat Vash. <laughs> Do you think uh, Picard was like, Vash? I used to date her. <laughs> yeah. And then we we tilt in on Picard as he thinks, and then we get like a full 30 minutes of thinking about Vash. <laughs> His lost love. It's a very long episode. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, they're, they're a secret keeping org that is even secreter than the Tal Shiar and they have tech that's even better than the Tal Shiar. So there's like a, a little illustration of that. Um, Laris has a, uh, as a device that will kind of recreate the scene in Daj's apartment f- from when she was killed or f- from when her boyfriend was killed and she, uh, and she was activated. But uh, the uh, the Jat Vash, as uh, we will come to believe, have erased the, I guess, the particle record. <laughs> what is it that this thing scans? Ben, this this space black light is super scary to me. This is yeah. straight out of a uh, a Dateline NBC episode. Yeah, you do not want to turn this thing on in a hotel room. A device that could be used uh, not only to see that you have masturbated, but to actually watch you do it. Yeah, yeah. Wow, right onto the TV remote. Fuck. <laughs> this this technology cannot fall into Federation hands. Well, it's technically illegal on Earth, but uh, right. Laris didn't didn't realize that. I love that Picard challenges her in this scene and is like, you know, you aren't supposed to use that for a lot of reasons, but maybe the biggest reason is that you can't necessarily trust what it's saying. So if it's saying I jacked all over that couch, <laughs> I mean, I don't see how you could credibly accuse me of He's that. He's just trying to get out ahead of it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you haven't you haven't used that at the winery, have you? 
<laughs> I would definitely recommend not using that in my office or on the under part of the glass table in my office. Oh. <laughs> this is going to be the first Star Trek fight when there's a Star Trek fight in his office. Somebody's going to hit the glass table and it's going to break, but it'll hold together because yeah. there's so like much a tinted window sinuous <laughs> cum underneath it. <laughs> Laris drops the F word here. Cheeky fuckers, she says. And mm -hmm. it's a scene that does a lot of cross-cutting back and forth. We're getting this exposition both at Chateau Picard and in the apartment. So it's a nice yeah. it's a nice sequence here. Which is in Boston, right? The apartment. Yeah. The deal here is that the Jatvash hate robots. And it, this is all kind of speculative at this point because... Even if you work for the Tal Shiar, nobody tells you about the Jat Vash unless mm -hmm. they're super drunk. She describes like the evidence for this as being sort of like built into the way the Romulans have their civilization set up. They don't automate things. They don't have robots. They don't have androids. They use their computers for, uh, you know, arithmetic and nothing else. And the idea that uh, an, a synthetic life form would be brought into existence is a huge taboo in Romulan culture. And uh, the implication is that the Jatvash not only like protect Romulan culture from the, the specter of androids, but also they know why Romulans are so squicked out by the idea. This show is obviously very well written. I mean, part of the reason is that it's written by really great writers, but I think this is a scene that I had a lot of questions about. And that's because I don't quite understand how the Jatvash secret is related to their hatred of synthetics and why it would break a person's mind to know it. Because what I thought of immediately was, well, what else could the secret be other than the Romulans are synthetics? There's sort of a an obfuscation that this dialogue does. Like the dialogue chooses to be well-written dialogue instead of dialogue that actually connotes information germane to the investigation. Did you feel that way too? I don't know. I, I guess I kind of have been feeling maybe a little bit on the other side about the dialogue. Like I like the way it's written, but it feels like more like book dialogue than yes. show dialogue. Agreed. Yeah. Like, I feel like when I put the closed captioning on, it it means something different to me than when I watch the characters say it. Yeah, uh, I agree. And this, again, like we've seen the episode several times by now, this scene doesn't become more clear through repeated viewing. And I think that is, I think that only supports my claim about the dialogue and maybe what its intent is. The dialogue is not intended to make the situation clearer, and I find that frustrating. It, it almost feels like it's intending to confuse. I, I think it's also partly that Lyris just doesn't know the answers to the questions Picard is asking. Fair. Like, the, uh, you know, she's, she's giving him what her speculations have been, but she can't actually answer them at this point. And I think that this is going to be one of the major mysteries of the show. Yeah. It's a mystery that can't be revealed at this point in time, sure. This is a great scene for Laris and Jaban, too, because as they uh, collaborate to tell this story, there is a lot of conflict between them that is just delicious to me. I mean, they're they're great together. I wonder, like, why Jaban doesn't come to Boston? <laughs> 
I think it is very clear that uh, Laris is the alpha and Jaban is the beta of the, <laughs> of their relationship. She wears two pairs of pants in that family, I think. Yeah, and he just wears like a toga. Yeah, I like him quite a bit. Did you see the uh, our, uh, our listener Michael underscore Plumber on on Twitter suggest that Star Trek Picard is a Dixon Hill mystery? Uh, I did. Yeah, I really like that. I like I like thinking about it in those terms. Yeah, I like that too. That's not far off from a friend of the podcast Ben Fritz's uh, comments after we saw the first three episodes that it's uh, that it's definitely a mystery story set in the Star Trek universe. So the next clue that they figure out is uh, is on Daj's computer, and they work out that while the data has been has been scrambled on this computer they can look in the logs of like face id and see if the computer got any false positives and if it did like who that might be is dodge's twin sister and so they they work out that dodge's twin sister is off planet because the all these messages were sent uh, via subspace this is the first instance of a couple instances in this episode where it is clear that it may not be as easy as we've always thought to leave Earth. You know, like this this goes to commercial after the scene in a what is she doing off planet <laughs> sort of vibe that that surprised me. Yeah. I mean, we got to get off planet, right? It's Star Trek only if we trek around in the stars. Yeah, and I mean, it's got to be a challenge for what happens later on in the app. You can't just leave whenever you want, clearly. Yeah. Uh, this next scene takes place on the Borg ship, and it's Narek and Soji entangled in bed. It's clearly, uh, it's clear that she's already assimilated that dick. <laughs> ben, who do you think the first person was to fuck on a Borg cube? Because that must have been crazy, right? Yeah, wow. Because for the longest time, there was no fucking on a Borg cube. Yeah, it was a fuck-free zone. Yeah. 5,438 days since fucking has broken out on this ship. And you know, like, in order to make living quarters on board, they had to install all of the doors and, like, in put in the bedrooms and stuff? Yeah. Today on this old house, <laughs> our project is the artifact. Now, this is a real fixer-upper, but what makes this place unique is its open floor plan. And all of these corners are completely square. That will allow us to hang a door just about any place we choose. Unfortunately, the Borg designed this place without modern inspection criteria in mind. So we're going to have to do a lot of retrofitting to pass because this thing is no longer grandfathered in. Yeah, the Romulans have become kind of uh, Borg tech scavengers. This is sort of, in in some ways, what uh, is described at the beginning of Undiscovered Country, the concern that the Klingons might become the alien trash of the galaxy. Right. Like, it's a bit like the, the Romulans have become the junkyard species. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess we don't see any other Romulans, so it's uh, maybe I'm wrong, but uh, but this seems to be like what they're up to is is picking apart this cube. I wonder if their if their numbers are set have been so reduced by the Romulan supernova that they must scavenge their own people from the Borg in order to propagate the Romulan species they need to to free these guys. Well, I'll tell you what, Narek's parents are going to be really mad when they find out that he's dating a girl that isn't Romulan. Right. 
<laughs> Were you distracted by all the William Sonoma smart gardens sprinkled throughout Narek's apartment? Yeah, there there are like a lot of them, aren't there? Yeah, there's like four. <laughs> I mean, we we've wondered a lot like what does product placement look like in Star Trek? We famously got the Budweiser classic in the JJ Abrams Star Trek movie, but we're starting to see uh, those little o- objects sprinkled in here uh, in Picard. I kind of like it. It'll do its thing. 16 hours on, eight hours off, all automatic. One thing about the relationship between Narek and Soji that makes you believe that maybe Narek isn't a good guy is he proposes keeping their relationship secret, Ben. Everything that the Romulans do is secret, though. Yeah. I thought that this was really fun on the heels of the scene uh, before where Laris ex- is explaining to Picard that it's almost redundant to use the word secret in secret police in yeah. a Romulan context. And uh, and this just like, you know, f- further fleshes that a- idea out. It's always a game of chess with these guys. That's right. A game of secret chess. Sexual chess, even, is what <laughs> he's playing with Soji. Yeah. I just play sexual checkers, personally. <laughs> King me. <laughs> Uh, she seems to, in all of their interactions, feel like she has the upper hand. Like she's approaching this relationship with, uh, with a fair amount of confidence. Yeah, I think it's going to surprise her down the road to to realize uh, who Narek really is. That he's a uh, that he's an evil Romulan, right? Yeah, I mean, I think she, I think she's, uh, I think she is into the bad boys. I think she knows he's evil. I think she likes him because of his evil. How about that? There you have it. Prediction. (laughs) Like, the second she's activated, she has nothing to be afraid of other than exploding rifle, right? But uh, she hasn't been activated, for all we know. Uh, I guess not. Narek wasn't able to find it, the the button that activates her. We get this brief scene uh, where Picard meets with Dr. uh, Moritz Benayoun, who was uh, the doctor on The Stargazer, an old friend. And a real that guy, David Paymer. A beloved that guy. Yeah. It's the nature of the show. They've already seen you win and they want something new. He breaks the news to Picard that uh, he's got some kind of degenerative brain disease. And uh, he does a classic like, uh, like you're going to want to sit down for this. You're going to want some tea Earl Grey spiked (laughs) uh, for this news. Uh, yeah, he's got some abnormality in his parietal lobe. Uh, did you get the sense that it was related to having been borged that, uh, that this abnormality is present? I mean, that's, that's a great call. I just assumed that it had something to do with his diagnosis in the episode, All Good Things. I mean, I think this brain disease is an interesting story device to see deployed in episode two of a show that has already been renewed for a second season because it sort of puts a ticking clock on this character. Like I feel like I've played a lot of video games where my main character gets a disease and is then like struggling for part of part of it. But you're like, all right, this guy's going to find a cure for this disease in some chest somewhere. Right. Cause he's the main character of this game. It's a story shorthand, right? Like, if you're not on Team Picard by now, you've got to be at this point. I mean, and it's the way this doctor puts it, too. It's not just that there's a ticking clock on his remaining years. It's that, like, at the end of this conversation, 
the doctor's like, uh, you're going to want space to kill you before this thing in your head does. It's going to be that bad. Yeah. And that's a really dark place to take it. Uh, Dr. Moritz, not great with the bedside manner. <laughs> and uh, does not talk Picard out of out of the idea of going to space. Right. I guess is persuaded to give him the, uh, the all clear to go to space because Picard's next stop is uh, Starfleet HQ where there's a, uh, a brief little moment where he's at the reception desk and a uh, young ensign doesn't know who he is. He kind of walks up with the uh, with all the brimming confidence of the great man, and then is not recognized. Hello, B. Sort of like when we check in at a SF Sketchfest, for example. Or I perform at Max VonCon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Picard gets his James Bond moment here, which I think if you're a writer, you have to really delight in. Yeah, I mean, this moment was in the trailer, and I think that. Uh, that they knew that this was a good bit of fun for everyone. Yeah. If you feel like if you're approaching this show thinking that you have any sort of expectation about Picard's reputation in Starfleet, this scene will disabuse you of that. He takes this meeting with Admiral Clancy, and it is icy from the very beginning. Admiral Clancy, uh, friendly fire viewers will recognize as the machine is still on Moira. That's right. She's great. It's Ann Magnuson. Awesome to see her again. She's playing a pentapip admiral here. The the C and C of the Federation. It's the top of the mountain. Surprising, right? Because we've seen the president of the Federation in films and we've uh we I feel I feel like I've always had the sense that the Federation's Political structure is set up somewhat like the United States, where there's a civilian commander in chief. Right. But this makes the case that there is a military commander in chief, and that's a. I wonder. I wonder if they'll go into why that is, why that has changed since the Kirk era. Like, what is? Was there like a military coup in the Federation? Yeah. Yeah, I think we need more of this story for sure. It's so obvious that Picard is approaching this uh, wrong. <laughs> he, <laughs> he believes that he has a relationship with Clancy that he does not. Uh, and it's not that he is just assuming that his greatness is going to open doors. I mean, he's he's assuming that they even have a professional relationship, which they do not, which Clancy disabuses him of immediately. He finally, like, he works himself up into the big ask, the reason he's there. He needs a ship, uh, not a big ship, just a little ship maybe. And he'd take a demotion uh, yeah. in order to, to be a part of this <laughs> tiny crew that he's asking for. And she cuts him off right there. Sheer fucking hubris. You can tell your big ask is not going great if... You immediately crash into the last argument you had with the person. The big ask does not go well, Enterprise. <laughs> yeah. She tears him up. You think you could just waltz back in here and be entrusted with taking men and women into space? It hurts to watch Picard absorb this. This is no longer your house is a, a brutal kick in the dick. Yeah. And... 
It's I I love the just just brief moment of him on the escalator at the end of that scene, just like fuming, and it's like a like a very wide lens making you know shooting him from below, so he he looks very small in the frame. I like how they L cut that too, right? Like the dialogue from the scene is still playing as he's riding the escalator down. That's that's nice. They relitigate what happened between them in this scene, and it gives so much more detail to the interview that Picard grants in the first episode. This basically completes that story. I've seen some criticism of of this stuff in, uh, you know, people's reactions to the show that, uh, you know, like Starfleet uh, would always do the humanitarian thing. But this is always the kind of fight that Picard picks, right? Like we've got to save these people is is a fight that he picked with the brass in every season of TNG. So it feels very on brand to me. Friend of the podcast, Brandon Bird, posted something today that was really thought provoking, which was like, I don't think the Federation ever was a utopia. It was Picard's enterprise that was the utopia because every argument he ever had with anyone above him always had something to do with with issues like these. Yeah. I think that's a great point. I mean, more utopian than this hellhole we live in now, but less so than absolute. Second F word of the episode occurs in this scene. <laughs> so those keeping track at home, it's uh, it's Jot Vosh has been uttered 25 times. The F word has been uttered twice. It, it, this doesn't bother me. I only call attention to it because it seems like it would be a big deal to a lot of folks. Yeah. Somebody asked me if Picard was going to say the F word, and I, I I didn't remember if he said it in what we saw at the premiere or not. But I wouldn't I wouldn't be shocked if they let it let one fly out of his mouth. I have always been of the opinion that uh, they're only words, and I think if if the use of that word was unmotivated or insincere to a character in any way, uh, I would think it was like doing it just to do it. But I think in both cases here, they it seems like something these characters would do in these moments. And so I think I think it's fine. And if like I've been thinking a lot about like the, you know, like there's a uh, like a, a standards and practices organization at Paramount when TNG is in production mm-hmm. making making it so that nobody ever swears or or says any bad bad words right but but then there's like a universe in universe explanation because it's it's sci-fi so they have to be like well you know like we've advanced so much and we're we're so like lettered and and uh moral as a species that we don't even swear anymore in the 24th century yeah (laughs) that's such a fucking stupid reason for people not to swear like uh it's a it's a it's a corny retcon and and i'm glad that it's a you know, grown-ups swear. Yep. It's a grown-up show for grown-ups. Yeah, it really is. Back on the Borg Cube, uh, Soji helps a Trill stranger get into their jumpsuit for work uh, and and warns this person about a gray zone and wearing a badge that needs to be activated if you ever go there. This is setting the tone for how dangerous this ship might be in some places, and the tech really feels like uh, a lot like a dosimeter that people who use in radiation jobs might have. Like, I, I kind of like this. Yeah, I wonder what it is detecting. Yeah. Because the the case is made, like, if this thing starts 
going, you better run yeah. before, you know, before it's too late, before you're assimilated. So there's there's stuff that's automatic that could potentially just get accidentally woken up in the parts of the Borg cube uh, that, that they're talking about. I'm pre-excited for that scene, Ben. You know it's yeah, going to yeah. happen. This thing is going this thing is going to go off so loud it's going to explode and then we'll know <laughs> that we're in big big trouble. One weird thing is that this badge the the dosimeter badge is very flat in the scene where they show them putting it on and the scene where the the like the guy with the Macklemore hair is explaining the the dangers of going into the gray zone to uh-huh. them. But then in the scene where they're like operating on the Romulan, they're quite a bit thicker. Did you notice that? Oh, I didn't. That's interesting. Yeah. Like, like what they look like kind of changes from scene to scene. And I wondered if they like pop out when you're in proximity to it. I don't know. Yeah. Or if it's just a mistake. I don't. It seems insane that they would like the art department would produce two versions of this for no reason. Yeah, it may just be a uh, a continuity error. Maybe one scene was shot before this prop was finished. Yeah, maybe. Soji is the happy tryhard at work. Like she's yeah. clearly smart and good at her job. That's why she's invited into areas of the ship that that seem very secure, uh, where the important stuff is happening. But it's clear that she's different from the rest. Yeah, and uh, this this whole we're having a secret relationship thing is something that uh, doesn't seem super secret because uh, she and uh, she and the shaggy haired. Romulan hunk guy definitely are like winking and nudging each other. Yeah, and they're they're flirting in front of uh, this trill, and it's during this flirtation we get some backstory on what the project is on the ship, and it's it's like a semantic argument, right? They're arguing about how they treat the Borg on the ship and and what they're called when they are either released or reclaimed from their from their Borg technology. Right. And uh, and then they even mention like, how dangerous is this place? Like if the ship and the Borg were severed from the collective, what's stopping the Borg from, from reconnecting with them? But uh, the idea is that most people don't think they're in much danger of being reattached. Like that, that separation seems pretty final. Yeah. Back on Earth, uh, Picard gets a visit from uh, Allison Pill's character, Dr. Gerardi. A lot of people with doctorates in this in this show. Yeah, a lot of smarts running around. She has uh, thought a little bit more about this Maddox conversation and uh, is interested in uh, in talking to Picard about it a little bit more. Not before uh, he gets a little dig in at sci-fi. He doesn't get it, Adam. <laughs> What's the appeal, even? Picard is a hard sci-fi man. He's not into <laughs> fantasy. miss me with that star wars shit they're talking about basically the same thing they talked about in the first episode the idea that if that maddox could be making these synthetics out of even a single one of data's neurons which may credibly lead them to believe that uh that one could remake data from these neurons right Dodge had some some paperwork filed with the Daystrom Institute since she'd applied and gotten in. So Dr. Girardi has looked back through the record and found a pretty credible, uh, you know, set of records for Dodge. But they seem to have come into existence just spontaneously about three years ago. So 
the uh, the idea that that uh, Daj uh, it it was manufactured quite recently is is on the table and. Uh, now, Doctor Girardi is kind of bit by the mystery bug too. She really wants to find the uh, the other one and uh, see what happened. It's a scandal because Dodge got into all of these academies. Uh, her records seemed uh, correct and credible, but her mom is Lori Laughlin. I'm in complete denial. Is the implication that the Daystrom Institute and USC are roughly analogous? No, I I wouldn't say that at all. But the idea that all these records are forgeries and that she never actually lived and learned in these places uh, would indicate not only that there's some fraudulence afoot, but uh, like what's weird about this is that she believed that she went to these places, but it was just her programming. She had memories of it. Yeah. Like the memories were created for her and then also the records were created in the real world. Right. And Bruce Maddox is uh, somebody that could credibly have done that, according to Alison Pill. She sort of flicks this research that she did to him. She's got a little, like, actual thumb drive in her hand. That, that kind of, <laughs> like, did you did you get a good look at this? Like, it's it's tiny, and then it, like, sort of opens up holographically. Yeah, well, it's, a, it's a little mini version of the same com- kind of computer that they looked through in Daj's apartment, which was just a stick that yeah, sits I'm- on your desk. It's stick technology. Stick-nology, if you will. There's stick, there's stick XL. That's the one that was on Dodge's desk. Mm-hmm. Stick mini is the one that Dr. Girardi's got. What's brown and sticky, Adam? Those on enriched nanopolymer. We are cross-cutting from here until the end of the episode really fast. I think we're getting like one or two minute scenes from here on out, right? Yeah, they're brief. Uh, There's the scene in the cube where they're operating on this uh, former Borgs, and uh, I don't know if I don't know if they're amplifying the vital signs of this Borgs or or what, but uh, it's really loud, and the and the heartbeat is going faster and faster as the Romulan doctor removes all the all the bits, and when the ocular implant comes off. Soji goes over and and uh, does a little bedside manner and in uh, sort of like elvish sounding language says, now you are free, my friend. And it really calms this very corpsey looking guy down. I was confused as to whether or not that heartbeat was playing in the room or if that was just for you and me, the viewer. Yeah, it's a little unclear. Yeah. I think this guy is pretty fortunate that he's not still connected to the collective because... Uh, like if if he were somehow able to communicate with the others that he loves, if he were like, uh, "Dear three of eight, <laughs> I've been on this table for weeks, where piece by piece, the tech I have grown to live with is being removed." They're not even applying lotion to the places where my skin is irritated. They won't even give me a name here. I miss you and our daughter very much. But that that's sort of like, it really looks like a Civil War field hospital here. All of the bodies, like this, the surgery happening here is not the kind of surgery where you care for the patient. You're, it does you're, not look gentle. You're cutting for expediency. Yeah. Which I wonder how many Borgs they go through every day if they're if they're rushing it like this. That's a great question. It makes me wonder, is this a project that is about getting the implants and using the implants, or is it about 
the patient and rehabilitation? I think those are answers we don't have at this point. Yeah. The case has been made that the Romulans are, are selling this tech, profiting off this tech. So, yeah. I mean, they, they call what Soji is in, involved with the Borg Reclamation Project. And so I guess we're meant to understand that that's kind of an academic consideration that is allowed to do some stuff too, but right. it's not like the main project at the at the artifact. Picard blows in a call to uh, to Raffi on his uh, on his old Starfleet communicator badge, which he takes out of a little silver box. Uh, but uh, only people that have read the comic know who Raffi is. That's right. That's got to come as a surprise. Y'all ain't met Raffi yet, but we have. We were ready for this. Yeah. This is classic combat shit right here. You you look at the sky and you tap it, just like you always have. I love don't hang up. Yeah. <laughs> That's the first line. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I would love to watch somebody hang up a combat. Yeah. We cut right back to San Francisco where Clancy and Commodore O discuss Picard's request. And we know that like the CNC is the top of the mountain and a Commodore... Uh, does not have the same amount of power. Commodore O has has just the single pip. Is that a, a an admiral level single pip? I believe so, but their their argument would suggest an equivalence in their power. Uh, and you could even assume that that O might even be wagging the CNC dog here. Like I get the sense that that Commodore O might be leading from behind. Right, like if there are Tal Shiar hit squads on Earth, I would know, and then you would know, and then all of Starfleet would know because I called the shots around here. Right, is the subtext. Yeah, I kind of got the sense that Commodore O had a sort of uh, chief of Homeland Security level job where their their recommendation could be could be the one that carries the day much of the time, but technically the CNCs. The one making the final call. Oh, that's interesting. Like circumstantially, Commodore O might be making the calls. Right. Hmm. Are you confident enough in your abilities at, uh, at, at quote unquote telling them apart to say with any certainty that Commodore O may not be a Romulan in deep cover? I guess we don't know if there are Romulans in Starfleet at this point in history. I mean, it seems like there could be. A few scenes later, we we know it is confirmed that that she works for Jadvash. Right, she's like an asset, or she is Jadvash. Right, but but we don't know. Yeah, I mean, we know that uh, Lieutenant Rizzo is is a Romulan posing as a human. Yeah, but I don't think that the show has said whether she's Romulan or Vul- Vulcan. Hmm. Yeah, be interested in finding that out. Have you gone mad? Back at the vineyard, uh, we come. We come into an argument in argument race, right? Laris <laughs> hates the idea of Picard continuing down this investigatory road. Uh, so angry she is that she drops the tray of tea, the tea set yeah. that he had. 500-year-old tea set <laughs> yeah. just gets shattered. Priceless. And uh, yeah, she's she's rip shit. Uh, uh, Jabon is like, yeah, you, you know, if you go, if you go off trying to start shit with the Tal Shiar, like the only, 
people that can credibly keep you safe would be other Tal Shiar. So we'll have to go with you. And Laris is like, no, that is not what I'm saying. <laughs> I love them so much. Yeah, they're fucking great. <laughs> like we talked about it before. Like, how did these characters get so lived in? Yeah. Yeah, they're fantastic. And, it, and what's great is that, like, Japan eats a ton of Laris's shit. But I don't feel sorry for Jaban. Like, Jaban isn't... Like, we joked earlier about, like, Jaban being the beta to Laris's alpha. But, like, I, I really do feel like they're equals here. And that's what makes their conflict so interesting and fun. It's not just her shit that he eats. He also eats Picard's shit. He's like, uh, why don't you call up Riker and Worf and everybody and, uh, yeah. and go do the mission with them? And Picard is like, no, 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 you rube. They would say yes. It can't be them. <laughs> what did you feel when you heard those characters' names in this scene? Were you relieved that they might still be alive? Uh, did you Did you feel anything? I mean, I think that it would be very fucking weird if we got through two episodes of this show and almost none of the people in yeah. Picard's history had been mentioned. Right. Like, I think that this does a great job of, like, making this a thing that feels like it happens in the future of the character we knew in the 80s and 90s TV show. To not mention any of them at all would would put a big... Paul over the whole thing because you want to believe at the end of TNG for example not that the story ended there but that they remained friends and they were significant in each other's lives forever yeah. and and to go into Picard with an absence of that I think would be sad so I'm glad for the references here I don't think it's just fan service and I'm glad that they believe that they would just like drop everything and go do shit for him like I yeah. wonder if he's wrong about that in the same way that he was wrong about what Admiral Clancy's reaction was going to be to him showing up going like, hey, uh, what about a ship and a and a demotion? That's interesting, like how socially fallible Picard is. Yeah. Yeah, it could be. <laughs> so yeah, we have this interaction between Lieutenant Rizzo and Commodore O that becomes, that makes clear that uh, Lieutenant Rizzo was calling the shots when the uh, motorcycle bad guys uh, fought Dodge. And she's basically uh, on on thin ice with Commodore O. So, I mean, if, if Lieutenant Rizzo is a Romulan, it seems strange that she would be taking orders from a Vulcan, even in this context. We're made not to like Admiral Clancy. I mean, and we definitely don't like Commodore O for what she's doing here. There's no reason for us to believe that Clancy is complicit in this, right? Right. I just wanted to to clear that up. I think they're just equivalent in our dislike of them uh, as characters. Yeah. I think um, also I'm ready for Commodore O to be running like some, you know, triple agent shit where she's like infiltrated the Jat Vash and then reverse infiltrated Starfleet or something. Oh, you're, you're ready for her to be redeemed in the end? I just I just feel like there's there's a, a chance that they're setting her up for being having a surprising allegiance that isn't quite as evil as it looks right now. Right. Uh, what we are beginning to understand uh, by the end of this scene is that it's uh, it's Commodore O, Rizzo, and Narek on the inside working this thing. Yeah. There isn't anything you could say that I want to hear. Uh, second to last scene in the episode is a uh, taxi pulls up to the Vasquez Rocks, 
This uh, this moment when the Vasquez Rocks title came up on screen uh, at the uh, at the premiere got a big laugh from the audience because I think everybody was expecting it to be like I don't know Gorn Planet or something, right? Or or Vulcan. And uh, the fact that it's just the Vasquez Rocks was was a big hit with this audience. It makes sense that the communicator would only have that kind of range, though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's cool. I, I thought it was interesting that taxis have uh, beat out Uber and Lyft in the future. Yeah. That union is strong. Vasquez Rocks, also a place where Rafi moved uh, for their Stand Your Ground laws. <laughs> because Rafi greets Picard uh, in a fairly hostile manner. Yeah. Uh, and this is like, we get almost nothing of her. But uh, but uh, this is this is who he called on the on the communicator, and then we get a scene where hologram Rizzo appears in uh, in Narek's office and uh, you know basically villain monologues at him for a little while. She's like, it stinks like sex in here. What yeah. happened? <laughs> Have you been inside the abomination? Oh, <laughs> yeah. They really they really use. Uh, Bad terminology when talking about her. A detail that caught my ear, Adam, that I think maybe lends credence to your five queens theory is uh, she says, uh, have you found the location of its fellow abominations? Mm. So yeah. uh, they know that one's already been eliminated. So uh, so there must be more. If they know that Soji is the twin, what is Narek doing fucking her? If they're if if what they need to do to do is capture and not kill the way that it that it went down with Dodge, yeah, I, I guess I think he's building trust. All right, I mean because they can't just capture her and remove her from the cube. I guess so. I, I don't guess know. I, I think we're gonna have to wait and see. Yeah, but uh, that's the end of the episode. A real like uh, an, another sinister villain moment to to theme. Yeah. Bad guys wearing Starfleet uniforms, Ben. Wow. Feels a little like conspiracy in that way, right? It does. Did you like this episode, Adam? Yeah, I really do. And I think it is because it surprised fairly consistently throughout. That cold open was scary. And not just for a Star Trek episode. It was uh, it was terrifying how powerless everyone was in the face of just a single synthetic. And it really makes you understand how much fear the culture must have had after that went down, you know, like mm-hmm. when, when Clancy outlines what happened in the aftermath of that and how the, and how Picard's mission couldn't go forward. Like you dislike Clancy for how she's treating Picard in that scene. But I think, all of the context up to that makes her position not seem unreasonable, but like, but understandable. Yeah. And like the complexity of this story as it's unfolding and what the story is doing to motivate all of its characters, I think is really growing into an interesting mystery. It's not too much exposition. Like even though this is episode two and this, this kind of feels like, the exposition episode of the two that we've gotten. Like it, it didn't feel weak in that way. It feels like the momentum of this thing is continuing to build in a way that I really like. So, so yeah, I'm, I'm still loving it. How about you? I, 
I too am loving it. Um, yada da da da. <laughs> it, it it's maybe even more than discovery a show that feels like it's really lived in, it really lives in a fully fleshed out universe like i think that with the mcu it was kind of the first time a a studio level decision was made to like have a cohesive universe of a bunch of different media products that uh, that all like kind of function according to the same rules and like big shit happens in one thing and it affects the other thing or, or whatever like that. That's true of, you know, original Star Wars to an extent. And it's true of uh, earlier Star Trek series to an extent. But it, it it was always like somewhat ad hoc kind of made up as it went along. Not not uh, not kind of like conceived from the beginning as a as a co- continuous universe. Right. And um, this feels very post that idea in the culture, like all of the things in TNG being true. What would this guy be up to now? But also like 25 years of shit happened in between then and now. And uh, I'm really liking that about it. Yeah. Yeah. It's still very early, but um, I'm liking how it's going so far. I think the fear you have when you approach a show like this, that features characters you really love is that like, is it not going to feel like the character that you love? Is it going to somehow ruin something that you've loved up to this point? And I think, I think we agree that, that neither of those things have happened. And I think what a person's reasons for disliking the show, I think would, would fall primarily on, on those two aspects. Right. Yeah. If you were to believe that it did those things, I don't think you'd like the show. But I, I don't think that the show is perfect. I think that there's a lot that is a little uneven about it. Uh, um, and I, I guess to a certain extent, I feel like I have to be like overprotective of it because uh, I know that there's so many people out there whose like whole thing now is just hating. Yeah. The reboots of things because it's not exactly like the original thing or whatever as people who consume media at what i'm going to call a professional critical level like i (laughs) i want to i want to understand how a person could feel that way but but to this point i don't believe that like i i don't agree is what i'm saying and and i don't think that we're i don't think either of us are jacking off all over this show either because i think there are as you say are parts that that maybe aren't as strong as others and i think I think we agree at this point that maybe some dialogue and parts could be uh, among them. Yeah. Well, self-justification achieved. Do you want to uh, see if we have any priority one messages? Yeah. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Adam, we have a couple of priority one messages here. The first is from Mr. Spillo, and it is to Mrs. Spillo. It was like this. If young me would have known that his future self would be watching Star Trek nightly with his future wife, who also happened to be kind, thoughtful, epic, silly, ridiculously smart, and insanely hot, he would have shat himself with happiness. Unfortunate event in the pants kind of thing. Thank you for being you. I love you so. Wow. I mean, we talk about it all the time, Ben. Uh, If past us could ever see what future us is doing... Uh, they would also shit themselves in the pants yeah. department. And and there's no greater expression of romance than a 
unfortunate event in the pants kind of thing. <laughs> uh, unfortunate event in the pants covers a lot of ground. <laughs> kind of a kind of a lot can happen there. Yeah, I found. indeed. Ben, our second priority one message is from Les and Monica, and it is for Adam Pranica and young John Roderick. So, Ben, I guess you can <laughs> take a break. <laughs> <laughs> Message goes like this. Ben, we hope you don't take that as an insult. It isn't intended to be, but it is eerily accurate. Thank you both for all your pod and for the great shows at SF Sketchfest. Wow. Your podcast drops are one of the highlights of our week, and your Sketchfest shows are the highlight of our favorite time of year. We hope you'll come back for years to come. Oh, man. Thanks, Les and Monica. We hope to come back for years to come. Sketchfest is, uh, is, is one of my favorite times of year as well. Yeah, mine too. It's, it's great. It's so wow. fucking fun. There's some real recency to that remark, though. I was, I was shocked at the reference. Feels like we just we were just there. Yeah, on Greatest Gen, we're often like a, a few weeks out on uh, on when the P ones are are scheduled for. But uh, this show, the they're they're a little bit more recent. Oh, but they're filling up. I'm looking at the I'm looking at the spreadsheet right now. It's clear that the Greatest Discovery is a hit, just as Star Trek Picard is. Uh, if you want to get on board this show with a priority one message of your own you can go to maximumfund.org slash jumbotron where personal messages are $100 and commercial messages are $200 and uh, ads are available yeah get some ads on uh, on this if, you, if you'd like to if you've got like a, a product that you would like to advertise more officially on the greatest discovery reach uh, tens of thousands of listeners uh, hit up kira at maximumfund.org What do you think of when you think of male grooming? Maybe it's a sharp haircut and a little bit of product, or a bit of the old beard wax twisted into the ends of a mustache. Maybe it's a shower, a shave, a little spritz of fragrance. Me? I think of shaving my nuts. And not just my nuts, all around those nuts. I'm talking all around those nuts. And this form of male grooming is hard to do when your junk looks like a log of Play-Doh rolled through a dustpan in a barber shop. It's wrinkly, it's wriggly, nothing stays in place, and it's the one area where you don't want to have an accident. That's why I'm glad we're sponsored by the spring cleaning champions at Manscaped. They sent me their brand new lawnmower 5.0 Ultra. It's their fifth generation trimmer, featuring two interchangeable next-gen skin-safe blade heads, a standard one for taking a little bit off the top, and a new foil blade to go smooth wherever your heart desires. They also sent me an extra-large Manscaped t-shirt, which I will never wear, but it was nice of them to do. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code TREK at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with the code TREK at manscaped.com. Nothing like a little spring cleaning in your pants. I spent a lot of last week sick in bed. And one thing I was so happy I had when I needed something to eat but didn't really have the energy to cook myself something was Factor Meals. Got a couple of these in the fridge at all times and they are delicious, fresh, never frozen, chef-crafted meals. And they're ready to go in just about two minutes. And this is convenience food that is actually tasty and full of real ingredients and not hyper-processed crap. 
and they got you covered all throughout the day. They got pancakes, smoothies, grab and go bites, and uh, you can get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause and reschedule deliveries at any time. So head to factormeals.com slash trek50 and use code trek50 to get 50% off. That's code trek50 at factormeals.com slash trek50 to get 50% off. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Hey, Ben. What's that, Adam? Did you discover yourself an Edward Larkin? I did. Uh, I think I have to give it to to Laris. Uh, I just loved the idea of like the uh, the aunt that has a you know Thanksgiving diatribe about jet fuel can't melt steel steel beams is the one that's like the most credible mm-hmm. in the room. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, the uh, the whole Jat Vash thing is like is uh, is very far fetched as far as as I can tell. Like. It's like nobody's ever heard of it before this episode. (laughs) I mean, like, I believe it and I think it's like a fun and good idea. But uh, but I just loved the idea of like, like if I was if I was in the room and somebody was like, well, you know, there's like an even secret or secret police. I'd be like, all right. (laughs) All right, Laris, maybe you've had a little bit too much of the 87. And uh, and the secret is so crazy, it would melt your fucking mind. (laughs) Yeah, she's like telling him to research Q. Yeah. yeah. And he's like, I, I don't need to research Q. I know Q. Uh, did you have an Edward Larkin, Adam? Yeah, I'll keep mine brief. It's It's got to be Narek uh, because he stuck it into uh, the person he's trying to surveil and possibly capture. Mm-hmm. Can't, uh, that's, that's mixing your business with the pleasure, Narek. Might come back to bite you. Yeah. <laughs> Don't shit where you surveil. Uh, some people who are new to The Greatest Discovery were asking why this is uh, an Edward Larkin segment and not a Drunk Shimoda segment. We renamed this segment after the Short Treks episode, The Trouble with Edward. Such was that character's significance in our mind. Uh, we, th- we thought to rebrand this moment. 
people have asked about that? Yeah. They're just are they just asking you? Yeah. <laughs> they know you'll be nice. Our viewers feel like they can talk to me, Ben. Mm. Yeah. Like like a, as a as a sort of high school Star Trek guidance counselor. Yeah, I'm not very approachable in that way. I'm more <laughs> of like a high school Star Trek dean of students. Right. Yeah, you you've got you're the one with the paddle. Yeah, I give detention out. I'm the one with the uh, backwards turned chair. <laughs> uh, well, Adam, what uh, what do we got coming up in this next episode? Uh, ben, I haven't watched the trailer to this episode, but I can tell you that uh, episode three of Star Trek Picard is called The End is the Beginning. Um, well, the trailer shows a couple of images, uh, like a more extended hang with Rafi in the next uh, trailer, a lot more stuff on the Borg's Cube, and uh, some of our first stuff with, uh, with, with Captain Rios the Santiago Cabrera character uh, who's already been announced. So uh, some some spaceship stuff, finally. Wow, well, I can't wait to watch it. That sounds great. That's That also qualifies as the last of the episodes that we have already seen. This is the the third 40-minute block that we saw at the, the premiere of Star Trek Picard in, uh, in Los Angeles. So from here Indeed on out, is. after this next episode, it's going to be new to all of us. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm really looking forward to it, and uh, let's toss it over to our intrepid producer, Robs, 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 from here. Rob, the Super Nintendo Chalmers of The Greatest Discovery. <laughs> to, just to keep that school metaphor going, Ben. Yeah. The Greatest Discovery is a Maximum Fun podcast, hosted by Benjamin Harrison and Adam Pranica. It's produced by me, Rob Schulte. Our theme music is by Friend of DeSoto and YouTube sensation Adam Ragusia. The Greatest Discovery is made possible by the support of our listeners like you. Make sure the show continues by going to MaximumFun.org donate. If you'd like to discuss the show online, please use the hashtag GreatestDiscovery. You can find Ben on Twitter at BenjaminAHR, Adam is at CutForTime, and I'm at Rob K. Schulte. Thanks, we'll see you on the next episode of The Greatest Discovery. MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture. Artist owned, audience supported.